This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Scott. Hi, I'm Misa. I'm Brian. And we're going to talk about Donald E. Westlake's The Axe, a 1997 novel, if I'm remembering it correctly, um, by um, one of my favorite writers. Um, I'd read this at least once before, and I remembered it being good, and then I was recording, digitizing all my audiobooks. I've been doing that for a while. And uh, just listening to it, you know, playing very lowly in the background, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's a great book. <laughs> it seemed really relevant for some reason. Then I figured out why it's so relevant. Um, it's a historical piece now, set in the 90s, uh, what, 20 years ago? Wow, that's a long time. Yeah, that well, was right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, I noticed just re-listening to the beginning, it's set in the, it starts in the spring and it ends um, in the winter or at least late fall. So it takes place over five or six months. Does it really? Yeah. Oh. Isn't that interesting? But the whole, but the main action of it, though, is just over a few weeks, wasn't it? Um, not quite sure. He, I mean, he starts off, you know, uh, talking... Well, he says that was back in April, uh, in the first chapter, when he right. took the gun out into the woods. And now he's on his way to doing his first murder um what, what i like uh, liked about listening to it that first time just sort of in the background low while i was doing other things um before i re-listened to it again was uh, yeah it just every once in a while i would hear this sort of subliminal voice saying oh that's so relevant now i understand like so i'd heard for example about uh, you know, Ronald Reagan doing things that people didn't like. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was a baby, basically, or a very young person when Reagan was uh, started his career as a president. And uh, so I didn't know much about what was going on with the uh, Patco abolishment. If you guys oh, yes. remember, I think that's actually explicitly called out in here, isn't it? It is. Yeah. It is. So the, oh, what is it? The Air Traffic Controllers Union, a government union, oh, um, who, I, I went and researched this this morning, who supported Reagan over Carter in the election, uh, was on strike. He even, they, Reagan even negotiated uh, prior to his election that you will get a pay increase. And then when the strike actually happened, he he said, if you don't go back to work, I'm firing you all. Most mm-hmm. of them didn't go back to work, and he fired them all, all the ones who didn't go back to work. And that sort of set in motion a chain of uh, events, what they call, you know, top cover, where, well, if the boss of bosses can do it, apparently all the... Uh, CEOs in the United States says we're we're good. We can start our our, our cutting of the fat now. And yeah, that was intent. Um, that was uh, that was crucial. In fact, uh, if you travel through Washington D.C., um, you can tell a person's politics or their age by what they call National Airport, um, mm. because National Airport was renamed Reagan Airport. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so people, I, I often find uh, Republicans or uh, or younger people will, with confidence or with casualness, will say Reagan Airport. And uh, Democrats or people over 50 will say national. Just mm-hmm. to, because of all things named after Reagan. Uh, right. The airport, you know. Right. And uh, yeah. that, that must have been pretty brutal, um, uh, brutal at the time. Um, it sounds like it was pretty brutal for a lot of the employees. Um, yep. And ironic, too, given that they had supported him, uh, you know, a Republican against their... <laughs> I mean, I, I, didn't, I don't normally th- go around thinking, you know, the turning point was when Carter lost the election for a lot of things, but apparently it was, because whenever I listen to that... CBS Radio Mystery Theater, which is like from the late 70s. Yeah. Um, Love that show. Uh, I love the ads. (laughs) I don't normally love ads. I love seeing what America was like uh, in the late 70s, where they're talking about the metric system and how it's going to come in and fix things and make things more efficient. And then they talk about uh, the unions and you know shopping at sears and supporting your local like it's just a completely different sort of uh we're in this together sort of uh weird not cutthroat thing and and it's funny that you call that the weird yeah, it's so weird right it's nice it's kind of like <laughs> yeah. refreshing shouldn't this be weird it should be but i you know i was born after that so well not exactly but um, and and yet you and I mice are slightly safer than poor Brian and Scott, who you know like we do have a that healthcare safety net that I yeah I don't I I I, I take it for granted until I start thinking about oh yeah all these people doing what not Indiegogo but uh, virtual Patreons or whatever it is for their uh, their go fund. Yeah, GoFundMe's yeah. for my dying brother and my this writer so, you might have read a story by and like well, Jesus it's pretty Christ. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I do see a lot of those. I was Scott. When were you born? 1968. Oh, okay. We're almost brothers then. I was born. Mm-hmm. In oh, cool. Yeah. So does does Jesse's vision of a different uh, history make sense to you too? <laughs> yeah. Well, the, you know, Reagan is where I first became aware. You know, so I, I recall the uh, Carter-Reagan election, and that's the first election that I remember. And, uh, you know, my family was conservative, um, 100% for Reagan. Mm-hmm. And um, it's only as an adult that I am starting to realize a, a lot of things. Um, and in a uh, sort of a corporate job that I had before my current job, I, I learned a lot of stuff. Um, so I guess um, I'm, I, I feel like, you know, reading all this science fiction and stuff my entire life, you know, I have so many visions of what the future could be in my head. A lot of them very positive. And um, it's just over the past, say, I don't know, five to ten years that I've really started to think, well, how do we get there and who can get us there? And um, I've been thinking about that quite a bit. And uh, the conservative is not how we get there. <laughs> I, I, I read something this morning um, about the new guy that, that uh, Trump brought in for NASA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, yeah. Not even a scientist. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's not how you get there. Yeah, that's not <laughs> how you get there. I, I can't argue with it. So I'm, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like I'm very much in flux right now, especially now. Um, I have no, no party affiliation, no political affiliation whatsoever, and I'm constantly reading news and just staring open-mouthed at it, having no idea where, where to be. It's how they want you, know you I mean? to be, Scott. Well, they they won then, because that's where I'm it's, at. It's 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 so weird. Like thinking, like I, I'm I'm listening to this book, and I think, and yeah, I make connections to what was that one I said on Twitter? It was uh, when worlds collide. He's like, oh yes, these are books in this. Like they're really about you know un, under boiling under the ideas, right? There's there's some like. Who's in this? And who can we dispose of? Um, who's on our team? How do we manipulate these people into that position? Like, uh, what I like so much about this book, and I love this book, I think it's terrific, um, is is how we've got this man alone who has to figure it out all by himself. He can't depend on his wife, and he can't depend on you know his his colleagues the the closest he can come to sort of talking it over is with his victims mm-hmm. right that's one yeah. of the things the book yeah um, yeah no i've got to say uh, jesse you you nailed it before i mean this is uh, i mean i'm increasingly convinced that we have a, a a huge break around 1978 1982 i mean we know economically that income inequality started taking off from that point that um, in the U.S. as well as in uh, the U.K. and Australia, uh, income inequality uh, dropped um, from around 1945 to 1975 or 80. Those are the least unequal times in our respective histories. And then um, starting around 1980, income inequality began to soar, and it's never stopped. And in fact, right now in the U.S., depending on the stats you use, we are we have an income distribution about the same as the U.S. in 1912 or 1905. Um, wow. So, um, you know, when I when I share this information with academics, I call this the uh, Downton Abbey curve. Yeah. And they get all excited. They're like, "Oh, beautiful frocks!" I don't. Like, no, no, no. You're, you're you're the help, and they they don't like that so much. But um, <laughs> one of the th- I I did a quick review of this on Goodreads, and I, I, I put down that I think this is one of the first fictional works about neoliberalism, because mm-hmm. it's explicitly called out, where where uh, Burke says, yeah, can't trust my wife, no family beyond that to rely on. I mean, unions just aren't a thing, especially because he was middle management. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. A professional yeah. organization. Uh, the government is completely hostile to you. Yep. Um, and uh, there's nobody else. And that's that's in many ways kind of the the neoliberal model of a homo economicus. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you're like uh, Robinson <clears throat> Crusoe. You're a single person. You have to make all these rational decisions for your economic maximization. And that's where we are. I mean, you you call out Reagan rightly, but it's important to remember that in 1992, the Democratic Party made yep. a huge turn right uh, away from the left strategically uh, to where we can charitably call the center um, and all these trends of neoliberalism simply accelerated right through there. I mean, you just draw a line, Reagan, Bush the first, Clinton, Bush the second, Obama, and all these trends just continue. Unions shrink, uh, neoliberalism grows, privatization grows, income inequality grows, social anxiety grows. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and over all of this in the and this is unusual this is different from uh from canada or australia is we have the uh extra specter of financialization uh, i mean both the uk and the us in the 1980s there are a lot of moves designed to encourage the financial sector to grow right and they did in fact in britain they called the big bang and one of the things that does is that massively accelerates inequality. I mean, uh, financial sectors are terrific for boosting income gaps, uh, but also that leads to all the arguments that Burke makes, that it's the CEOs responding to shareholders mm-hmm. is the financial mode. And you can't uh, kill, yeah. even if you yeah. could kill all those shareholders or kill the CEOs. Right. It wouldn't. It wouldn't give him his job back, and it wouldn't give him what he need. He needs for his family. The, the, it's yeah. really interesting thinking about like I, I. I didn't remember the ending when I I read it uh, again, and I was thinking like, does he get away with it? Will he get away with it? I hope he. <laughs> I didn't even. You know. Like, you know should that's, he get that's away the thing with about it? this book. I think is, uh, you know, it hit me very personally. You know, because the job I have now, I am a teacher. And I, I teach people how to be in automated manufacturing. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole chapter in here about automation, you know. Yeah. So the, the, the yeah. book, I meet people like this guy every day. Um, not, not people that kill other people, but people that are in his situation. You're, and, you're the uh, air conditioning repair man teacher. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm, I'm teaching them to, uh, to function in basically – what's coming and what is right now. And, Scott, and the, luckily we've got a very, very good placement rate. And, um, are your, are your students, uh, adults? Yeah. Yeah. We, we so, do, we do, we do a high school program, but yeah, most of my students are adults. So you're retraining them. Yes. So you're the retrainer in the book. I'm the retrainer. Yeah. People can come to us. They can come to us straight out of high school or, uh, you know, or when they're looking for a new job or often if, uh, uh, a factory moves, to Mexico, which is what uh, a big company here in town did, yeah. then um, all of their severance packages include us if they want. Wow, it's 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 straight out of your life, isn't it? It is, it is. So I I can understand, and it's interesting to, you know, how Westlake put this book together. It's like you have this action, and then he does a, a you know five page chapter on justification. <laughs> it's like this is what he's thinking, and and the thing is, I can't disagree with what he's saying. No. Um, I don't agree with his conclusion, uh, <laughs> but, it, but it's hard. You you know, it's like Scott, I identify with this publicly. guy. It's just like you were saying there at the end. It's like, oh, I hope, I hope yeah. he doesn't get caught. You know, yeah. but the thing is, he's he's killing people that do not deserve it. No, but he knows they don't deserve it either. Yeah, and and he doesn't want to get close to it. Um, yeah, his glee, his glee when he found out he didn't have to kill that one guy because right. he had a job that he did not Con- want. He was so thoughtfully congratulatory to the guy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it just blew me away. That was just something, yeah. Well, don't forget the last lines, um, which are, are beautiful and powerful in all kinds of ways, where the cops wish him luck. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, so, you know, there's this grim way in which you could see that, uh, you know, the situation supports what he's doing. I mean, he's not a rogue actor. He's, uh, you know, he's fine. But also, it's not a guarantee. It's only luck. That's right. No, it's not. And that's I like the way he left that open. Three or four other people uh, are having applied as well or getting that interview. Mm -hmm. And he said, but I'm still going to get it. Yep. (laughs) 
Um, and uh, how the whole thing fell together for him. It's almost as if the universe was on his side, too. It really was. It really I, was. I want to I point out how cool uh, Westlake is at, at making characters. I love how when you're reading, this is in every Westlake book, pretty much. You know, there's that scene where he, he's sitting outside of someone. This is more, probably more than one scene in the book. He's sitting outside of somebody's house down the street waiting for him to come out from the mailbox. Right? <laughs> waiting for him to come out to the mailbox and shoot him. Um, or he's just scouting the location. And some lady glares at him. <laughs> and that lady, it turns out, she's got a backstory of her own. She's got her <laughs> own issues. And we don't find out until later what those issues are. Everyone in a Westlake novel who's there has their own novel going. They have their own life. They have their own story. And it just so happens we're following one of those characters. Um, That's true. That's true. It's it's something you and yeah, and, and like and then see. later when they talk about the guy that um, the last one ex- the how he the one that he put on the water how he had a house full of guns like when the police right. come like we you're talking about backstories and yeah sure he could have done it because he's obviously a maniac yeah every everyone everyone like the suit salesman right everyone mm-hmm. has their own story their own family they all have middle names right they all have uh some sort of sympathy that you know you can either sympathize with more or less but they have their own existence outside of that of the of the main character and and the fact that almost everyone who he talks to at all has some story about being having a cousin out of work or a brother out of work or uh, themselves having looked for a job recently and yeah. it's the whole society that's suffering under this sort of like at the time, in the 90s, under Bill Clinton, right, um, I, I didn't know Bill Clinton was a bad operator. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I guess he's better than that 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 guy who came before him, Bush, right? Not that I voted for either of them. But then, you know, you find it 20 years later, you find out, oh, hey, uh, Thomas Frank writes a book uh called listen liberal about what bill clinton was actually doing and if you maybe were paying attention at the time which i wasn't to the details of american manipulative politics you would have seen that actually this guy yeah he doesn't care about the worker either no it's uh well some of us did um yeah you're american you were you're a little older than me you have the possibility of voting i i don't know in the 90s i don't know what i was doing but it wasn't it was you know more canadian politics or something i'm I'm not snarling at you i'm saying i'm i'm on the left in the u.s so um this was an issue for for us at the time i mean this is clinton who um he made a major major act of uh, financial deregulation um which is pretty detailed basically undid glass steagall he also um, signed NAFTA, which was good for you guys in Canada, I think. Yeah, right? Apparently, it seems to have been. Yeah, I mean, in in the in the book, right? Uh, yep. His company moved to Canada. Yep. Yep. Yes. Uh, and uh, and you know, it's uh, no, I, I I think I I was really surprised reading this because I came into it thinking about a a revenge story, and I didn't realize it would be so explicitly political. It the, is the, the scene where he's talking about um, uh, who is to blame. I don't know, and and Misa, maybe this is just me, you know, being triggered by pronouncing your name via Steinbeck. <laughs> <laughs> yes. There's this great scene in um, 
in uh, Grapes of Wrath, where um, there aren't any characters named, but a, uh, a farmer is standing on his land, and a, a bank official comes to repossess his farm. And uh, the farmer has a gun. And mm-hmm. the bank official says, you don't want to shoot me. And the farmer says, why not? He says, well, it's not my fault. And what happens is about two-page poli-sci 101 exercise where he says, well, I'm just this guy. I'm just doing what I'm told. And the farmer says, well, who's telling you? He says, well, it was the bank. But, you know, it's not, he says, I'll just go to the bank and shoot them. Well, no, because they're part of this larger corporation. Well, who do they belong to? And he works his way up to the whole financial system. It's one of the most radical books in American literature. Um, and I, I'm pretty sure Westlake was making a little nod that way because it's it's pretty famous. Um, well, the, yeah, this um, this whole thing in the in the French movie that we saw that the, there was a, a short discussion. The kid said, was writing a paper about does the end justify the means, right? And and the kid says no. But this whole book is like it, it reminds. That's what the, it comes down to, right? Is right. Yeah. is it is this all okay? And and when I was thinking about. I was starting to think, okay, well, where where do they say that? They say that in war, in wartime, the end justifies mm-hmm, the means, mm-hmm. and and then I started thinking of this book kind of like a a, a war book. It you is. Know? Like, now that you it, point it, it out, like, yeah. They, they mentioned Vietnam. They mentioned that he was in the in the army, but neither he nor his father ever shot anybody. But now, when war is when this war is personal, yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. that's well, actually a really good catch, um, because. Yeah. Uh, veteran, how many people he kills are Vietnam veterans? Right. Uh, well, one, <laughs> for sure. More, more than one. It appears in uh, a lot of their uh, resumes. Well, oh, really? Yeah. More than Remember, so, so everyone's been in the military, right? Some in the Every Navy, person. some. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, it, it, did Bert, oh, by the way, his name, Burke DeVore. Yeah. I didn't think about it until after, and then I, I said, apply the usual rules, Jesse. Burke, of course, is a famous killer, um, a smotherer, um, and oh, Devore is, you know, the eater, <laughs> hmm. the Devour, consumer, yeah. right? Oh wow, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you don't, you don't even like, yeah. I don't even. Uh, you feel it's some, maybe something. This is kind of a strange name, but it's just another name, right? And then, and then Arcadia. I was like, yeah. What, what's Arcadia mean? Oh yeah. Oh yes. It's like. Utopia. Right? It's like once I get to Arcadia, well, there's okay, land well, the land of heaven, right? Specific, <laughs> a specific thing about that. Um, not the one that I linked to on, on, on Twitter. I'll get to that if you want. Uh-huh. Um, the uh, the sense of that area, this this area where you have upstate New York, um, right. Massachusetts, Connecticut. It's uh, a combined rural and suburban area. And um, it's supposed to be where people go to be in the country where it's good. Um, it's it's the retreat from New York City. It's the retreat from Boston. Um, and it's a, it's in some ways a kind of heartland. I mean, the Hudson Valley is uh, in many ways you know some of the foundational parts of American history. Sleepy it's Hollow, right? Yeah. Um, and if you go around, I mean, if you drive around the area, it's mostly bucolic or suburban. Uh, and there's a real aim for that. Now, what's what he's talking about in part, and Westlake lived up here, right. um, is that um, since the mid-60s, well, there's a lot of decay, especially in upstate New York, because this is prime Rust Belt area. Uh, when he describes that one mill that used to be a mill, but it's now like half falling into the water and half it's being turned to other places where people act as though they're working, mm-hmm. um, that's all over the place here. You see this in Connecticut, Vermont, New Hampshire, upstate New York. Um, so in many ways, you know, Arcadia is, is 
no longer Arcadia. It's not just him devouring it. Mm. Hey, yeah, well, so it's really it's like a combination of a pair of things going mm-hmm. on here that you know change is inevitable, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we don't we don't need elevator operators anymore. You know what I mean? You know, the guy the guy that would stand there and push the buttons for people. Yeah. Right. You know, so I mean things like that occur um naturally and um but then you also have the the greed of the corporation who think only about um the bottom line and what's the best thing for the bottom line. There is never enough. You know, we're not we're not making enough money. We can make more money if we do this, even though we're hurting a lot of people. Yeah, um, but that's it, a decision that they make because of this, you know, the stockholders actually have no connection to the people doing the work. But the thing is, is that the, there are cultures, right? That that uh, once this is the this is the thing. Like when you're in the American bubble, right, and you think, uh, you, and the entire news media owned by six corporations, right, can can sort of just ignore vast swaths of reality because they all don't talk about the thing that they should be talking about. So, like, Korea, South Korea, is super capitalistic, right? right. Super duper duper uber capitalistic. <laughs> but they make, and they and they make, think of all the products that they make and the, how powerful a tiny little peninsula with no resources and uh, no, um, no food industry or anything like that is able to, you know, throw out companies like Samsung and LG and Hyundai and... There's five or six other car, Kia, right, car companies. They, they, they make everything in South Korea. They have this sort of implicit deal that hasn't, you know, that's been thrown away in, in the U.S. in maybe in, in that 1981 uh, breaking of the union sort of thing where, yeah, maybe the company might have to lay people off, but the society doesn't throw people away. And that's one of the, the the lines in the book is, you know, this is the only society that uh, I think in the movie it's it's said by uh, one of the victims. Um, but in oh, the book, they say something about um, I, have, and, I yeah. have a I have a paragraph to read to you that oh, okay. uh, hits exactly what you're saying. He says this kind of business management that has never been seen in the world before, trashing productive people from productive careers and productive companies is happening because of the millennium. Oh, so he's going a different direction there. I thought this is what you were saying, though. It's, but it's, he, he's talking about tossing... Direction. Yeah, but he's saying that uh, it's never happened before in history when we're... Right. He said that earlier. I thought this was... Whether he's right or not, the the, yeah. the sentiment is, is dead on. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, they when Eskimos put their old people out on... Yeah, uh, he <laughs> says... Ice flows. It, yeah, yeah. And uh, and the the ancient ancient peoples used to expose their babies... You know, because there wasn't enough mouths to feed or whatever. You know, they're deformed. Whatever it is, but and, and the, what yeah, society... the interesting thing about that is that was that was one of his victims that said that. Right, right. So like everyone's in the same boat, and he's the only one who's, well, as far as we know, has has taken this this technique to heart. Um, and uh, the ending of the movie version is slightly goes farther, slightly farther than the plot of the novel. <laughs> yeah. And I actually didn't remember who that woman was if, if at the end. Uh, was, was it the one that interviewed him? Yeah. And then I realized, the oh, one? yeah, that was the woman who had interviewed him and says, 
could a woman do your job? Yes, that's right. <laughs> that was pretty funny. And uh, that, and then it makes sense, right? Like he's got a threat um, on the horizon. Everyone, once you start, it's kind of the same scary path, right? Is once Reagan starts down that path, and everybody, everybody sees how effective it is. What's to stop everyone from, you know, pulling a Westlake and you know, sharpening their knives in their closet behind their wives' back for their own family's good, right? Well, speaking of that, yeah. do you remember the um, that woman that hired somebody to kill to kill a cheerleader's All right. mother? That's right. Yes. Yep. She wanted her daughter to be on the cheerleading squad, so wow. she hired somebody to kill the mother of the other cheerleader, so the other cheerleader would be so devastated right. that her okay. daughter could take the spot. That's crazy, yep. but it's... But they're... But it's it really America. Oh man, uh, that's ironically. Ironically, one of the things that's happened is from about 1990 till last year, violent crime in America declined. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really enormously. I mean, like historical precedent time, um, mm-hmm. and and we're still arguing about what happened. I mean, was it because? Did, I mean, was it because it? we up so many people or was it, it I'm sorry you said up till last year did it did it turn around and is on the way up now or is is it just that's where data stops well FBI FBI data is about a year and a half old um, okay and some cities have seen a, a, a spike up over the past year notably Chicago um, but it's still if you if you generalize that to the whole US it's still below where we were like back to like the 70s was, was that in one of the um, Malcolm Gladwell books? Did this come out of one of those Steven, books? Steven Pinker uh, wrote one. Because uh, both, both of them. whatever book it was, they said it that a lot of it had to do with um, abortion becoming legal and a lot right. of people just not being born. That's one theory. Um, that was one theory, sure. yeah. That might have been uh, economics, actually. We're all talking yeah, about those pop books. Yeah. My yeah. favorite theory is that it has to do with leaded gas. Um, leaded gas? Yeah, because lead does terrible things to the brain. Um, we know that. I mean, it's done it for a long time. And starting back in the 20s and 30s, um, we added lead to gas uh, because it made the uh, uh, engine sound better. Um, and then starting in around 1970, we started, you know, this is a problem. We're pumping lead into the atmosphere and started issuing unleaded gas. Right. Uh, and it, I mean, so one theory is that, you know, we have, a, we have about two, maybe three generations of kids born with the odds of having a little excess lead in their brains, which make them, among other things, have poor impulse control, bad planning, the kind of things that you see in a lot of criminals. But then uh, circa after 1970 or so, um, that begins to decline in the atmosphere. Uh, so that's – the lead theory is also controversial, but it's my favorite one. But it's fascinating, though. It is. It is. But the thing about – I know. I mean, it's, it's it doesn't fit into any politics, too, right? It's, it's – um, yeah. Um, but but Westlake's novel then is so interesting because what he does is he takes the crime idea and translates it into politics. Mm-hmm. So while <laughs> while crime per se is going down, the economic and political crime is going up. So mm-hmm. he's using traditional crime to embody this new form of, of violence, which I think is really really clever. One of the, one yeah. of the protected classes in this book and that is no longer protected. It well, le- protected maybe in a different way. Is um, and this is, you know, goes back to that grapes of wrath scene, right? Ultimately, you can't defy the system, right? You can't buck the system. Only way around it is to not, not participate. And, and there was this line I, I saw as a podcast title, t- 
title of a podcast. It was actually a, a tiny house blog that started a podcast. And I, I oh, I like tiny house stuff. It's sort of interesting, right? And I clicked on the 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 first episode or one of the episodes, and the title was so good. The podcast wasn't important, but the pod the podcast title was so good, and I thought, yes, that's me. That's that's what we all should be thinking about because it's so broken. And the title was, "Remove Yourself from the Economy's Well-Being." And I thought exactly because the economy is what you know when when Donald Trump defends his position, right? He says, "Look at Wall Street; the numbers are so great." Yeah, great for who? <laughs> Not for regular Joe, right? Regular Joe isn't doing well. And the fact that we live in a, a, a an insanely crazier uh, economy uh, since that novel, twenty years later, now everybody has extra jobs right what they call the gig economy which is a polite way of saying um everybody has to have three jobs four jobs which is ridiculous but um uh, in the novel right the cops are fine they're they're, he said it's a growing industry it's a growing industry right and 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 yet there was a story the other day and i'm sure you guys all saw, saw it unless you know you were off the internet about this nurse who gets uh, oh, yeah. attacked in Utah by a cop? Yeah, and the details of that are more interesting than you know the particular scene of a lady getting roughed up for doing her job. Um, the details, as it comes out, right, is the guy who, so the the nurse, it refuses, well, says she won't perform a uh, blood extraction for this detective who wants. Uh, the blood extracted because uh, they want to prove that he was drunk and therefore justify a high-speed chase in which um, that the guy who was injured and... Hey, Jesse, I need to correct, I need to correct one sure. thing. I, I believe uh, that he was trying to prove that the guy was not drunk. Right, the guy was the guy was uh, unconscious, and he was a police officer himself from some other jurisdiction. Yes, but uh, but that but see, that's the that's the crazy part, right? So, mm-hmm. the police in, in the the one who's who's still employed, as far as we know, um, yeah. was who arrested this lady who's just doing her job and following the law. Oh, I yeah, I'm not arguing for this guy. I was just correcting a she's uh, a piece well, of information. Well, but <laughs> yeah, see, I mean, I'm just north of that, and there was a lot of I hear I hear it. you, and I, I I I'm gonna get to those details. So, the Utah nurse is uh, arrested for following the law and not withdrawing the blood illegally from an unconscious victim who is not under arrest. Correct. Yeah. The the police officer who arrested her um, has a second job. Yeah, he's his job is a detective, and he also drives a, an ambulance. Yeah, as a second yeah. job, yeah. his second job, they find out what he says on the video, um, and they fire him from his second job. They don't fire him from the police department, but they fire him from the second job because he threatens to bring the hospital only the bad patients, the ones who can't pay, and if you don't comply, we're going to do this. So it turns out though. Yeah, that the victim is another police officer who is a reserve police officer, which means he has a second job. And mm-hmm. now the police are eating themselves. 
the 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 police if you remember all the movies you know back in the 80s and the 70s uh, the police and uh, police women uh, police men and nurses they were like on a team they're basically married to each other right because they see each other all the time that's where marriages happen you know you see go into the hospital with your your victim or your your uh client <laughs> client a criminal to get their wounds sewed up and you know policemen and nurses now they're fighting each other and the police are fighting each other mm-hmm. so uh, you can't tell me scott that the that the police officer is illegally trying to get uh another police officer um um in trying to help him by illegally searching his his yeah i have have no idea what that would be so one of the one of the things that is in this book that is so striking to me and the the thing at the time is you know when you first when you're a kid and you're young you hear all these things about the cops the cops are your friend ask the police officer for help right Mm -hmm. but the reality is that cops are people who are doing jobs and their jobs are to arrest people and to put people in handcuffs and to put people in prison now that is not the case in every single situation that, that that's their main priority but even in up here in you know wonderful canada um people abuse their power and the stats and the pressures are there and the cops aren't really your friend no oh. I, I learned this personally, but I also see it like, so uh, w- one of my profs at at uh, college was, um, he, he's still involved with the BC Civil Liberties Association, which is like the ACLU of the province, right? And he was a former advisor to Kim Campbell, who's the prime minister. And he was arrested for a crime that he was not guilty of. Uh, which was passing stolen, uh, or no, stolen, fake $100 bills or something. And he was roughed up by the cops. And when they arrested him and took him to the police station, they do the background check and run his name and all that stuff. And they find out, oh, he's got cosmic level security clearance, which is basically what they have at NATO, right? It's above top secret. It's, it's, and then like, oh shit, we've arrested the wrong guy. We've roughed up this wrong guy. And they had the cop come and apologize to him and say, you know, yeah, it turns out that we got the wrong person and all that. And he said to us, he said, and he said to me, and he said to the class, and, he, and then he said to me after, he said, what do you think I should do? Should I pursue this? And I said, I, in my naive view, I was like, well, if it's an honest mistake, you know. But the thing is, is if they do that to a guy who they have to apologize to, and in my own experiences since then with the cops, you know you know basically they're not your friend they're they're doing a job and yes they will respond to political pressure bert devore Burke devore gets a really nice fair shake from the cops but think of all the other people who don't right there's a, a guy who gets hung who hangs himself in was it in the book or maybe that's it was in the, movie. the movie that's yeah okay movie. he kills himself basically or is killed um when they think he's the murderer and and they cops even wish him good luck in the end. I, obviously, this is not a um, uh, an indictment of the of cops in particular. It's just like since that point, since 1997, 
even the cops aren't safe. Right now, they have to have second jobs, all of them. It seems like. When and I was in when I was in Australia, the last time, I heard a union uh, leader say, uh, "In America, we call it the gig economy. In Australia, we call this the American economy." Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Which impressed me. Oh, and um, the, the, there was a what? How Uber? Right? Uber is pitching its its um its uh, product to investors they say um yeah this is uh, this is our idea we're gonna take we're gonna let uh, we're gonna break the um taxi service and we're gonna take uh, get anybody who wants to to use it become a taxi and we get we get to keep 70 percent. they get to keep 30 percent. but that's not the best part later mm-hmm. on we're gonna bring it they get 20% and we get 80%. So who wants You know that? what's been, you know what's even better? What's driverless cars? <laughs> yeah. Uber. So 0%. Everybody's well, at work. Uh, well, you, assuming they don't have an exclusive right to the technology, I could see maybe something else coming out of that. But yeah, the the it, it, putting people like yeah, everybody likes Uber because it 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 provides a cheaper alternative to taxis, which nobody likes. But the problem is, is by destroying industry after industry and after industry, and with no social safety net, uh, the only thing keeping <laughs> keeping that violence in check is. And I was thinking about this, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me everything is more expensive today than it was when I was a kid, except for one thing, and that thing is food. Food is cheap compared. So comic books, when I was a kid, 35 cents. Now, comic books are 4 or $5 each. But the food hasn't really gone up in price. Pop was, uh, what, a buck 99 for a bottle uh, 10 years ago, and it was buck 99 for a bottle 20 years ago. And it's still a buck 99 or something like that. Right. It just impressed us. If you, you know, those of us living in the U.S., we're just going to start crying. So you got to be careful. Well, (laughs) but I'm serious. Like uh, people, they say, well, you know, at least we're not starving, right? And in fact, that that is not the issue, right? The bread and circuses is it seems to work. We just keep keep the people. I mean, that if if food prices did suddenly shoot up. I think you would see a lot more civil strife than you're seeing because, right, the millennials who – Burke DeVore is not one of them, right? He's he's a boomer. He's yeah, explicitly a boomer. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, for millennials, they just grew up in this. And when I was a kid and trying to get a job and noticing that it was not that easy uh, and when the jobs came that the, the pay was shit um, – my mom didn't quite understand because when turns out when she was a kid, everybody could get a job incredibly easy. University was practically free, right? And mm-hmm. you were in demand as a as a person who was unemployed, even if you didn't have a great education. Now, no matter how many uh, university degrees, I mean, th- I was thinking about you, Brian, during this week. Like, no matter how many university degrees are, you can't just say, you know what, I'm just gonna work hard and buckle down and 
get my PhD, and then I, I, I become a rich professor and lay back my tenure, right? Like, who is more put upon and been tricked by the by the system than the PhD candidate? Well, um, I could talk about it for that for the next six hours because that's kind of what I do for a living. But um, it's uh, um, I just sent you in the chat a, a link to a, a paper from a big thorny economic paper which found that uh, price markup has gone from about 15% to 70% wow. over the past 30 years. Wow. Uh, it's pretty dry, but it helps explain some of the, of the pricing issues. Um, I want to, if I could, if I go back to, to the Westlake for a minute, mm -hmm. um, please. I'm, uh, I'm way behind in mysteries. I'm, I'm, I'm all, I like them. I'm just not as literate in them as I'd like to be. I'm just wondering for you all, how did this work for you as a uh, mystery or as a crime thriller? Crime thriller. Maybe. I don't think it's really, well, I mean, the mystery is, is he going to get away with it, I guess. Right, right. Mm -hmm. How did this, you know, are there, are there any, uh, uh, how did this work for you in that way? Was it, was it, uh, are there any particular genre moves that we should really, uh, pay attention to? Uh, does this connect with anything else in West that we should Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as Brian, you know, I don't read a lot of these. Um, this is maybe my fifth Westlake novel though. Mm -hmm. And I've been impressed with every single one of them. Um, he's terrific. He's just incredibly yeah. clear. And um, so smooth. Um, you know, you can just zip right through these, but yet, you know, he's profound. Um, but so I don't really have anything to compare it to, um, you know, I, other than other Westlakes. But I do really like uh, the character. Um, and, you know, even those chapters where he's setting up his, you know, uh, defense <laughs> are, are really fascinating. But I, I really like the character, and, you know, he says things like, you know, I have one thing marked. He says, I can only guess at any of these things. I can only wait to see what happens and see what I do in response. And uh, that's what we're doing, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I love, you know, Westlake is always kind of, you know, winking at you uh, through these books, I've he's, found. He's super, he's super smart, and you, you might, might sort of under underappreciate that if you're... If, like, I just going through it again, I see a lot more than I did the first time. It's not just like some books, you know, you can they're designed to be chewed up and and enjoyed, but this one as a period piece is incredibly interesting. Um, beyond the fact that it's it's a powerful read, um, there's a funny situation. So I, I thought it was a bit weird that he would be so perceptive. At sort of an elderly age, right? Um, it, he died uh, two years after the that movie came out, Misa. Um, oh, really? And I tweeted you guys. I, it's not listed on any of the trivia things, but um, I'm like at the 22 minute mark. Who's that guy? That like, <laughs> what is he doing? Oh, it's like he just guy passed passed in the hallway, and that's Donald Westlake, right? He's a he's a gray haired gentleman, you know, definitely up there in years. He was not super elderly, but he was, you know, he was past retirement age when this book came out. Um, how is it that he he can be so perceptive and so not, uh, you know, I got mind jack sort of guy is because I think he's a writer. And what he does all day is basically just like uh, Burke DeVore. He sits in the garage right at that desk and tries to think through the problems that <laughs> he's having. But. His, he doesn't go off to a job where his industry is um, 
you know, manufacturing uh, paper, he's the guy who fills the paper, right? The fact that he's he's made the main guy in the paper industry is a kind of, I think, a nod and a wink to the fact that he's a writer and he fills those pages, right? This book yeah. was very much like a writer going through, though, like sure. because it was sold in self per- in first person and and like it was so orderly and so. A, B, C, D, and you could see his thought process yep. as, as if you were watching that writer. Don't do you that. love also yeah. that the, the way it's told is first person always becoming present tense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was really cool. It's very yeah. different from most other stuff, you know, where you, mm-hmm. you get a first person all past tense or first person present tense right up, uh, you know, but it it's always becoming. He's always mm-hmm. becoming whatever the, you know, that was two minutes ago or whatever he says, right? And, you know, yeah. that was last month. Now I'm doing this and now I'm feeling that and, right? So. Yeah. There's a, yeah, and, e- and even though um, you know you know what the premise of the book is, or I did, mm-hmm. um, that first moment where he shot that guy in the face mm-hmm. out by the mailbox, I was like, oh my god, he did it! Yeah, yeah, you but know, that, I, that, I was that, right that there. I was so too. right there, and I was just I couldn't believe it. I, I was really stunned by it. Yeah, but that's that's Westlake. And and then when he shot the wife, like so many times, I was like. <gasps> And then he shot the wife, and then yeah. the husband was like, "Oh my god!" Like every time when he ran over that guy and backed over. Oh him, yeah. Like, they didn't do the backing over in the movie, and I was like, kind of good because oh. <laughs> it was so brutal, right? Got to make sure. Oh, the thunk, mm-hmm. thunk, thunk, thunk. Um, or poor take. Say again, Brian. Uh, the poor guy with the tape. Oh, the tape. The, again, my mouth, my hand was on my mouth. Oh, jeez. Oh, yeah. I want to I give some background as to why I think um, Westlake is so good at this. There, there was an article he wrote um, in a, I, I want to say in a magazine, science fiction magazine called Xeno. might have been called Extra or something like that. Um, when, and it's an article about why he left science fiction. Um he started off as just a writer of pulp magazine stories and he wrote science fiction stories, um, a few of them. And some of them are good. He wrote, uh, I mean, great, in fact. Um, he wrote a novel even um, that's a terrific novel and I'd like to talk about it sometime. Um, Brian, you'll like it. Uh, Scott, I think you'll like it. Misa, I think you'll like it. <laughs> it's Westlake, but um, that novel is um, set on a world with no law. It's called Anarchaos. Um, oh. and, and it's about a uh, a guy who's who goes to Anarchaos to uh, revenge his brother's murder, um, and the main character is also kind of a psychopath. Um, so the fact that he can go to a world where there's no laws and uh, uh, sort of gleefully um, start killing people. Um, is interesting, and of course, it doesn't work out perfectly because it's a Westlake novel. Um, but he 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 had he could have had a bigger career in science fiction. But one of the things he complains about in this essay he wrote, "Why I Left Science Fiction" or some similar title, is he says, "I'm not getting paid the way I should be. These magazines are just not pay- they they promise to pay me and then they don't. You know who will pay me?" Uh, mystery magazines, or more importantly, novels, mystery novels. That they, when I sell a book, they pay me. That's why I'm leaving science fiction, 
right? Hmm. It's kind of like, it's not that I hate science fiction. It's that I can't get paid. And I got to tell you, I think a lot of science fiction writers, they just, they they work despite the fact that it's, it, it is kind of like a gig economy, right? Scott, you've tried to sell uh, a few things, right? You've sold mm-hmm. a few things. You don't, you can't make a living at science fiction, right? No, I mean, and they, they, you know, having been to lots of conventions and things, you know, they, they talk about, you know, when you go in there to the shelves and all those paperbacks on a, on a normal shelf at a bookstore, um, there are maybe, maybe 10% of those people making a living at that. Um, James Patrick Kelly, a terrific science fiction writer, um, wrote some very classic modern stories, still working, still writing. He doesn't make his living writing science fiction. He he teaches writing at a university. Yeah, a lot of these guys do that. Um, I mean, Gene Wolfe was talking about And, uh, I mean, his whole life. You're breaking up, Brian. I'm not quite yeah, catching any you. of that. Please say okay. again. Hang on. Can there you, you hear me now? Yeah. Yep. Uh, Gene Wolfe, I asked him. The, the best thing for a writer to do is to work for uh, uh, Wallace Stevens, who's an insurance company executive his whole life. Um, and Wolf said it makes you focus on your writing. And but he worked his entire life. Um, I mean, Wolf has been publishing like you know, a novel a year, but mm-hmm. that, you know, he wrote some great fantasy of our century. Most of that didn't come through, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, I think you said. Gene Wolfe is publishing a book a year and he still worked. Is that wow. what you said? Shoot, we're losing you. Yep. Yeah. It's a bad connection. It's that right. crappy rural internet. How about Is this better? It yeah. seems to be. There you are. Okay. You've just sprung to life. Yep. Well, good. <laughs> uh, uh, like a zombie. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, Wolf was, um, you know, he worked his entire life as a as an engineer and as a writer for engineering. Um, mm. And he, uh, uh, you know, never made a living at uh, writing, even though his stuff is some of the greatest science fiction of right. our time. Um, yeah, yeah. Ted Chiang, same That's story, amazing. right? Yeah, well, I don't think Ted Chiang is trying to make a living doing that. I, I but, think that is that is a side thing for him. <laughs> right. <laughs> he sent a story yeah. to Hollywood, so that helps. Yeah, yeah but, like... The fact that that his stuff is so good, and you know, uh, he can't make a living. The, there's something. Wrong I think. With it. Uh, no, I think he probably. Yeah, he. I think he's an exception. I think he's yeah. doing what he wants. I, I think. I think. Uh, yeah. Timothy Zahn, who said that he made more on his first Star Wars book than he made on all of his novels and stories combined. Wow! Amazing. Right. Amazing. Wow. And, you know, which and he's written I don't know six or so since then. I mean, I don't blame him. I mean, that's just uh, you know, KW Jeter has been doing novelizations. I mean, I don't blame him. The guy's a terrific writer, but he doesn't. He's not a major seller, so mm. you know, all right. Um, you know, it's not a. It's it, I. I would love to see that Westlake piece if you could find it, Joseph. Yeah, I'll dig it up yeah. for you. Yeah, I'm tough, not tough, tough deal. It, it is. It's it's just striking that like. Uh, there's another book I, I should point out that uh, I quite like as well. It's kind of meta like this one, I think, is a bit me- Maybe this one is a little less meta, but that one's really meta. Um, it's called The Hook, and it's it's kind of the same 
problem is it's about a writer who can't sell his books anymore. And he doesn't blame uh, his writing skills. In fact, he's actually a better writer, he thinks. But the problem is, is the computer. That is Amazon, basically. Um, this is from 2000, so w whether it's Amazon or not, it's basically to do with the publishing industry. The computer saw his last sales in the publishing industry, and it saw that it sold X number of books. The, so they only order X number of books for, for his next novel. And then that one only sold X number of books, and so the next one, they only order that number, right? So it always he's getting like fewer and fewer uh, sales, not because he's a worse writer, but because the computer and the system basically is tiring of him. Mm. And so he pairs himself up with a uh, uh, writer who's who's on the upswing, but who has writer's block. And he says, you know, I'll write the book. You put your name on it. And that way we will defeat the system. Right, you get you get uh, to have a new book out, and I get paid, <laughs> right? <laughs> and we both get paid, in fact. Um, and of course, things go wrong. But the thing is, is Westlake was doing that himself with his own, like he wrote a bunch of novels under oh, other pseudonyms, but not just the ones we know. Like Star, uh, Richard Stark is is the most famous one. Um, he he wrote a book uh, by uh, under the title Judson Jackson Carmichael. And he published it um, completely, even though he, you know, he has a name and a reputation. He published it so secretly that it took years for people to find out on purpose, just to see if his sales would increase somehow. And he was always experimenting with trying to get sort of a better marketplace for his writing because it was an insecure job in a certain sense. And he's an extraordinary talent. But even, That's hard to believe, given how much he wrote. Right, right. I mean, the fact that he's a writing machine is mm -hmm. it should ensure that he's he's doing well. But the problem is, you know, that name's getting tired, right? So he 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 was always pushing to see how he can make a living better. You know, oh, I'll do series. Series seem to work. No, series are are not working as well. I'll I'll mix it up, and he starts a new series, right? And sometimes uh, there's one that there's a terrific series I really like didn't do very well but um, it's uh, written his pseudonym was Samuel Holt and Samuel Holt is also the main character and he's basically Magnum PI living in sort of New York or something like that um, it's basically the same setup as that and he, oh he's also a writer <laughs> so it's it's like um, if you start reading Westlake, he's super addictive because the the wonderful, beautiful turns of phrase that you see and the thoughtfulness that goes into the creation of characters um, sort of is incredibly odd considering that's the that's the feature. And he he's known as a mystery writer, but and he won mystery writer awards, but he doesn't really write mysteries. None of them are really mysteries at all. There's they're just crime books. Or sociological uh, uh, studies. There was a, a nice um, summary. Somebody, I think, before we started uh, reading this, somebody said something like, "I read something like uh, Westlake's subject was the economy in the late 20th century." 
which is pretty uh, interesting for a crime writer. Wow. I, I haven't read a lot of uh, crime books, that, but, but what this did remind me of was Macbeth. Ah, interesting. Um, you, you know when Macbeth, after he decides, like he, he has this prophecy, if I, if I kill Duncan, I will be king. And it's sort of like, okay, if I kill this guy, I will have this job. But this, to do this, I have to do this and this and this and this and this, or kill this, 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 this and this. And then, and then at one point, Macbeth has that line where he says, "I'm, I'm, I'm got, I'm so covered in blood. If I go any further, or if I turn back, it's all the same." Right. And and doesn't um, Burke say something like that too? I, I can't, I can't stop at this point. I've, I've come this far. I have to. Uh, yeah. Yes. Moment where No, you're breaking up again. <laughs> Sorry. Oh. Try again. Uh, oh. mm, keep going. Um. Oh, it didn't come through. <laughs> Damn. Um, that sucks. Um, I don't know. We could we could try rejoining the call, I guess. Uh, let's see. Oh, he's uh, going to bail. Oh, sorry, Brian. Uh, alas. Alas, alas. Vermont internet equals swear words. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Brian. Okay, so that's too bad. I wanted to I wanted to just go back to the cops again for a minute. So remember, I think, and it's more maybe it's more explicit in the movie having seen the movie after reading the book. But the wife is so awesome after her husband is competent in dealing with the cops and their son. Mm-hmm. Right? She thinks he's terrific, and it sort of fixes their marriage in a certain sense, at least temporarily. Um, he's really committed to the marriage, right? He's 100% on board with it. He he also thinks he should kill the guy who's sleeping with his, <laughs> his mm-hmm. wife. But then that he lets that pass in a certain sense. Um, but th- the fact that when... So, like, when I was a kid... Um, and <laughs> we're doing this sort of in uh, my law class or my uh, uh, philosophy of law class. I'm, I say a kid. I, I was, you know, <laughs> early 20s or maybe 20 or something like that. I'm in my philosophy of law class and, and the teacher asks, what, what are your responsibilities? What if you committed a crime? What should you do? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and my answer is a very naive one, right? It's like I should cooperate with the police. Right. I should <laughs> and, confess crime. All uh, right, because I, and that's that's what the cops say. You know, we gotta sort this out. I got all this paperwork. And the movie, they say, you know, you just make a clean breast of it, right? You know, like just be honest, right? And the thing is, is the cops aren't your friend. And the Crown Prosecutor in Canada isn't your friend. Their job, and in the United States too, is to get convictions. Their job is not to treat people reasonably or let people go. That's why you don't 
answer their questions without a lawyer present because the lawyer will tell you they're not your friend they're not there to help you they're to, there to get a conviction as big a conviction as they can with as least amount of work as possible that's their job and to be good at their job they can't be compassionate that's not their job right so when i'm just disabused of this by reality and discussions and hearing other people's stories and reading and i said oh yeah okay i see i see it now and i feel like burke devore if my kid was found to have been arrested i would exact act exactly as he did right the fact that his son has a computer and can't afford software and isn't pirating makes him a stupid kid he should have been pirating instead of instead of uh you know stealing actual software which i thought was hilarious <laughs> like Maybe it was the year CDs that this was and dvds kid get a floppy disk drive and copy those files over <laughs> from your friends that's how you do it um but the he was right and scott you agree right i agree with which aspect of what you said the fact <laughs> that he's cleaning out the closet of all those software files and or mm -hmm. things and throwing them in the river or wherever he is getting rid of them. He was right okay. to do that, don't you yeah, think? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's possible that I, I would have done a similar thing. I mean, I'd have to think about that. But, you know, I'm just thinking about you know, what you have to say about police. You know, there's – I'd certainly hate life without them. Of course. <laughs> Right. So, um, I mean, that needs to be said. That's what I was thinking when they you have to work ask for us. question. They have to work yeah. for us. So, yeah, but to, to have an economic incentive in the wrong way, it's like, you know, okay, well, uh, this policeman's bonus is dependent on how many convictions he gets. You know, I or hope that that's or, not the case. Or or just their promotion prospects, right? Right, their promotion prospects, right. Or even or even just not getting harassed every day. Because if, mm -hmm. if you listen, like there's a couple of cops, um, there's one on who goes on the Young Turks all the time, and he talks about working as a cop in Baltimore and, you know, what the pressures are and what the focus is. And it... it and the fact that you know this this guy uh, in the Utah case, right? He he's not working the best interest of the victim. If he was, he he would follow the law, because if those results come out that he had been drinking, right? They're not going to use that to help him. They're going to use that to get away with the fact that they were breaking the law by doing a high speed chase into oncoming traffic when they shouldn't have been, right? Correct. That was yeah. the whole purpose. He was covering his ass and his 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 fellow policeman's ass, who probably were in that high speed chase, right? And it turns out that the guy that they're, you know, trying to get blood on is a fellow cop. That blue shield, I don't think it extends across um, uh, other departments, right? And well, I mean, it yeah, it depends the, on the, the situation, you know. I'm sure it depends yeah, on who right. knows when who, it's not much it. of a cost, of course, right? When it's not much of a cost, and the cop does, I mean, it's not like every cop's a bad person or anything like that. But right, right. It, when when they all have to work two jobs and they're all getting pressure to to keep their jobs because you know you don't you don't want to screw up, and the pressure, you know, it, it's a Every system has, you know, 
the way it runs. But uh, I was reminded a lot of another book I read recently called um, Red Harvest, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's about a town full of corruption and how, you know, once the corruption starts seeping in, you can't really, you can't trust the cops and you can't trust the government and you can't trust your fellow neighbors. This is a, a horrible world to live in. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, you know, everybody's got these interests, right? Everybody's got these economic interests um, that are just above and beyond them as a person, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, that they act on. And that's what corporations do. Yeah. Right. You know, the corporations or the and stockholders they, want you want uh, their returns and they never see the people that are giving them the returns. It's just a piece of paper. And isn't that nice and convenient for them, right? Exactly. I mean, yeah. That's uh, you, nobody wants to be thought of right. as a bad so person. Right. So it, it, yeah. So I guess you know it, you want to, you know, if you take personalities out of it, you just want to make sure that the the economic interest of people is in is in a good direction. You know, like that's why I'm against uh, privatization of jails. Right. Because yeah, once you sure. once you make a, an economic. Um, reason to put someone in jail that's a bad thing period i mean there's just no arguing about that and um you know we had that in the small town i used to live in they wanted to build one and uh there was a lot of us that were not for that so um but but i don't know so it would be the same way with the police officers you know if if i went in there and you know they, they talk about these these things that they do in manufacturing and stuff to get people uh, a measurable thing to base things off of, like, oh, how many widgets per hour do you make mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, whatever that is for the police officers, mm-hmm. you know, I sure hope it's not how many arrests did you make today. It is. It is sometimes. <laughs> yeah, if, if it is, that's completely wrong. Or tickets, uh, I mean, no matter what, I mean, tickets is sort of, uh, oh, well, it's not that bad, right? But the thing is, is uh, it is it, it is a tax. It's a financial hardship, and the laws are manipulated so as to, cause and and right and you also don't you don't make waves where you don't need to make waves right so if it's in the rich neighborhood you don't go and uh tax all those people with extra parking tickets because they have lawyers and Mm. they'll screw it up so target the people who can't fight back and it's not because you know everybody's racist in fact i heard a really interesting uh thing that i need to research a lot more on about how Racism is actually a tool used to divide and conquer, right? So you got all these poor people, all these poor black people, and all these poor white people. How do you make sure that they don't gang up on the people who are actually exploiting them? You promote racism. Against each other. Right? You, you, you totally, you pit them against each other and you say, these are the guys who are taking your jobs. Oh, does that sound familiar? Mm-hmm. It does, it doesn't does. it? Right. Yeah, it does. Mm. Yeah, well, it's the same thing about other countries, too. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It's a tool. A tool to yeah. use, to be used against the the people who don't want you to seize their power that they've, they've taken, they've somehow grabbed hold of. And they think rightly so. You, you know what this really also reminded me of, Jesse? That book that we just both read about mm-hmm. uh, managers eat last. Like Right. The whole time I was Leader, reading. Leaders eat last. Leaders, leaders leaders eat last and it was it was essentially it was all about this but yes, from the other side so in in that book he was talking about how this is all so wrong and that when you when you compensate people and, and make them feel included and, and help them profits actually go up 
Right. Simon Sinek is the book. And actually, I, I kind of quoted that earlier, the top cover thing. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, when he said, you know, this is this is a it starts the first chapter, I think, with a a soldier or a pilot, I guess, in the Air Force or Marine Corps or something flying over Afghanistan. And he knows that there are a bunch of his troops down below and he dips below the uh, the ceiling so that he can get a better view. It's a risk. He's not supposed to do it, but he, he does it because he's it's his job and he's providing top cover and people depend on him, right? Um, well, that top cover for a whole host of terrible behaviors sort of goes back to that that um, that Ronald Reagan thing, right? Where he mm -hmm. breaks the union that supported him in the election. Not the only one that supported him, I'm sure, but the one that you know, is soon to be destroyed. And, it, you know, at a personal cost to Reagan, in a certain sense, like, he could have, there could have been a, a big disaster, right, if he replaced everybody, which he almost did, uh, with, you know, unexperienced or inexperienced people. There could have been a cost. But his, his thinking was, we got to do this, because I got to show him who's boss. Well... That kind of top cover leads to a whole host of bad behaviors that we're still dealing with. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was open season on, you know, on cuts. And cuts don't care about all that stuff. So uh, this is why, um, I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the podcast before, but there's a, a movie, a uh, zombie movie from South Korea called Train to Busan. I yeah, watched I've it. That. I've <laughs> seen you, it as well. Yeah. You yeah. have seen it, Scott? Yeah, yeah. yeah I oh, thought great. it was terrific. Yeah. Uh, what I love <laughs> about it is is how the values are are so similar and so different from the American values. So the fact that there's the bad guy is the guy who takes his own. You know, he's I'm a boss. <laughs> I deserve to to live. Right. He's the bad guy in the story. And he's a bad guy because he doesn't sort of take care of everyone else. The weird thing about South Korean culture, right, is every, every young person calls every older person who isn't their actual family member older brother. And every young person, uh, that every man, um, every young person who's, you know, it's like older sister. They're all, it's like a big family, right? We're all hmm. in this together. You don't have that sense in the United States, right? Not anymore. The only thing you all share is you're Americans. And you love the flag. But there isn't like this sense of we're all in this together. And the only time you see that is like right after 9-11 or something like that where people are a little more kindly to each other and, and that sort of thing. Otherwise, it's uh, war of all against all. I got to get mine, Jack, sort of thing. And it shouldn't be that way. And maybe maybe it wasn't that way 50 years ago. But it sure feels that way now, at least in the, you know, the apprentice mode of you're fired. What happens to those people? Hmm. Right. When the when the when the boss is the guy who who he, he's what makes him a leader is that he fires people. <laughs> it's not a great. And we made go. him the president of the United it's States. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Unbelievable, but yeah, but no, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, he's part of the reason why I'm politically adrift. <laughs> I have no place because I couldn't you've do been it. Put out, I you've couldn't put out on your on your iceberg. 
Yes, that's right. No, um, like, you're, not, you're not. You're not. A I need. I need a new. I need a new. Uh, yeah, we need. Well, something. the thing is, is I'm not like uh, I. I'm not. I'm not worried about losing my job. I mean, maybe I should be. I'm not worried about it. But I felt worried while reading this book. Right. I did yeah, and I, I agree too. You get all paranoid reading this book. Totally. Yeah, and that's part of what Westlake does. Uh, you know, I was like I said, I was all the way there with him, and and I've been really, really lucky um, in the job that I chose to do, and um, I've never needed work. Um, it's just something that's just highly in demand. So um, I've never had that problem, but I have known lots of people that have. And it's like, you know, especially when you get up, you know, you're 50 years old mm-hmm. and you uh, have a very particular skill and mm-hmm. that goes away. And and I've seen that. Like uh, there was a Lazy Boy factory close by. Right. And uh, they decided to move to Mexico. It's a different one than the one that I mentioned earlier. So, it, I mean, it happens around here. Right. But I knew probably 10 people that worked at that plant and had for 20 years. And it's just because somebody decided that it would be better down there. Yeah. You know, for for who knows what reason. It wasn't like Lazy Boy's losing money, I, I didn't think. Um, well, but they but can they, make more money there. But they picked up and left to make more money. Right. And all these people that have been there forever, you know, were just like, okay, well, what do I do? I've been putting chairs together for 20 years. Now what? Yeah. Right. And that is a thing, you know, so I hear what you're saying, you know, social safety nets and things like that. You know, I have, I have a whole lot to learn. Um, but uh, but my response, um, you know, and you talk about the double jobs, too, you know, being a teacher now mm-hmm. and having been on a school board before, mm-hmm. um, teachers have two jobs, almost all of them. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, down here, it's... Well, your your labor unions are much poor condition, I think. I mean, that one one yeah. of the things that if you read through that Wikipedia article on on the PATCO uh, destruction, mm-hmm. um, Scott Walker gets mentioned. And Scott oh, really? Walker does the same thing, right? He, he He's, I'm going to break the teachers' union. In fact, I'm going to make it illegal for them to have a union. Now, yeah. the, the air traffic controllers actually still have a union. It's a different union... Right, um, uh, and it's kind of important that it, maybe they uh, well, the, yeah, the, the teachers get the right unions, hours. I mean, and, that's the, there's so much there. I mean, and and, and you know they, they can blow things out of proportion or whatever, but but the beginning of the destruction there for Scott Walker, or the, the reason that it allowed Scott Walker to do what he did, was because they successfully made the case, and who they are, you yeah. know, I don't know. But they successfully made the case that the the teachers union is making decisions not in the student's best interest. And Mm -hmm. in some cases, that was absolutely true. Sure. So they said, okay, therefore, the unions are no good and we can break them. And that's why the public support was there to do it. Yeah, right. But But, but it it, it doesn't change the fact that we have teachers that, um, you know, uh, I went to a convention, you know, so I'm at a technical college. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to a convention, and there was a another person there. He was a, a department head at another technical college, and he, you know, he was talking to me, and I said, "Yeah, I just started at this place, and I've been there for about a year." And he, he said, he was very interested in what made me decide to do that, because in his experience, because of the pay cut, it's like, um. You know, what gets a person in the door? It's really, really hard for them to find someone to hire. Mm-hmm. But once the person is hired, they tend to be able to keep them. 
because it's extremely rewarding stuff. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you're changing lives, right? You're, you're making things better. And right. it's hard to give that up once you're in. But to get them in is really hard. And uh, it's because the pay is two-thirds. I'm making two-thirds what I was making. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a much greater impact on society than I was before. <laughs> so upside down. It's weird. Yeah, but that's the way that's the way it is here. I don't know. Isn't it that way in Canada or is it not? Well, the unions for school teachers is is uh, is pretty strong in BC. Yeah, we have a very strong. So, school. so if you have a, a teacher, you know, a career teacher, they're making decent money. Yeah, they they're make hundred thousand dollars or something. Well, can they can make that? Um, yeah. It depends on your level of education. So, my sister is she's starting a new a new school, uh, and she's in the she's in the school system. And if 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 it all works out and she gets the job keeps the job and it all you know isn't a temporary thing uh she will be making a lot of money um and <laughs> i do this i do this i teach students i don't do it in the system but she will make uh, a very good living um but more importantly when when this when it's not all about money right a lot of the times when my mom is a teacher and and my grandmother is a teacher right i know a lot of teachers Mm-hmm. When they're striking for, and the students are often, you know, 100% in favor of what the teachers want, is smaller class sizes, right, mm-hmm. and assistance in the classroom, right? They're not stri- because their stri- their strike is designed like not just to make their jobs easier, but to make them happier at their jobs, which is teaching students. Um, sometimes it's about curricula. But most mm-hmm. of the time, it's about you know class sizes, which is good for students. And yeah, teachers. I would agree with that. Um, yeah. Did you? Uh, I looked into that Patco thing. You know what they wanted? What their goal was? This mm. is hilarious. They wanted a reduced work week and only maximum forty hours of of work. Yeah, cause it's because pretty in, it's pretty intense what they do. Yeah, of course. Back then, especially. Yeah, back then without the computerization. Super stressful. Assistance. Yeah, very did stressful. Did you see that movie about air traffic controllers? Um, I did not. Mm-mm. It was really good, but I cannot remember the name of it. Oh, they wanted a 32-hour work week and a four-day, uh, 32-hour maximum four-day work week, eight-hour shifts. That's what they wanted. Mm-hmm. Not not twelve hour shifts, extra overtime, right? Like they want, they want, and these are all the things that you know, Labor Day, and you know, we just had Labor Day, and all the union uh, things that we got, like a forty hour work week, child labor laws. This is from the struggle, right? And it's like, yeah, they got crushed um, because it's like terrible. Sorry, I'm. Mm. going off on it but i, I just think it's no, so I, I would like to look into that some more you know because I, I remember it happening i remember it very well but i know i didn't have the details at the time well we never do right that's the thing is i was living in the 90s i remember uh life under bill clinton i thought it was better um turns out that he was not as uh good a guy as we thought he was <laughs> um <laughs> sorry my side cut you off oh no no that's okay the movie was called pushing tin Pushing, pushing Tin. I did see oh, that. That yeah. um, stars, uh, what's his name? Billy Bob Thornton. Yeah. And uh, uh, John Cusack, Cusack, right? And John Cusack. John Cusack, yeah. There you go. That was a good movie. I did see I, that movie. Yeah. Years ago. I don't remember it very well, but I do. I did see it. Was it. A, but, it but it did show how, how stressful and, and like trigger, you know, the decisions you have to make up to be. You have to be so on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Like yeah, so if you've been working for 50 hours, how can you? No, you can't. <laughs> I mean, you it, it, people need breaks. I'm not saying they need, you know, 6 weeks of vacation every month. <laughs> I'm <laughs> saying, you know, they need pee breaks, right? They need the doors not locked so that the fire uh doesn't kill everybody in the building when they're <laughs> forced right Th- this is um yeah, NAFTA is not necessarily a good thing if it only helps the companies screw over workers. Right? And the, the people arguing in favor of NAFTA and against NAFTA and TF, the uh, Canada Free Trade Agreement before that, right? So we're going to renegotiate NAFTA is one of the things that Canadian politicians said. Oh, do they? I didn't they know did. That. Yeah, sure, because mm-hmm. they people got screwed over, right? So and people got screwed over on both sides, and what, what are we doing then? But but we have the the and I appreciate it more and more. We have a, a little bit of a safety net, right? The healthcare system. Oh, I see. Uh-huh. Is it, you know it's not as bad up here, and in fact, mm-hmm. it's an advantage for companies to move up here, right? Because they don't have to pay for insurance. Mm-hmm. It's all covered, right? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, it, it makes me appreciate Yeah, it's interesting a, stuff. A you know, more. we talk about globalization, you know, and, and what's going to happen, you know, in the future. And I know that a lot of the globalization push was, well, we need to knock down economic borders so that trade, uh, can, trade helps, you know, right? thing, yeah. things move, right? You right. know, that's what economics is. If things move and there are less barriers, then things move better, <laughs> right? So right. isn't that – that's what globalization is. Yeah. And um, – you know, that's part of what's going on over in Britain, too, you know, because the open borders, the open economic border turned into fear about losing identity as a, as a country, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that was part of it, and I know it's not everything, but um, but that is a large part of it, um, this fear. But well, I don't know. The, the people uh, you know, who voted for Brexit, though, right, <laughs> the, uh, voted against uh, staying in the economic union, weren't doing so because uh, of racism. That's that's bullshit. The reason they were doing it is they were actually seeing declines in their life, a standard of living. Right, which we're, it's exactly what we're seeing in the United States. Exactly, right? Mm-hmm. They're saying, right. like, mm-hmm. uh, the fact that, like, up here, Walmart's fucking things up, too, just like it's fucking things up down there. Walmart kills other jobs right uh, in other stores because their prices are lower but they also don't pay very well and they pay so badly in fact that you know their whole economic system is based on the fact that their employees can get food stamps right the fact oh that God. it's it's so bad and up here we have the same situation right uh, one of my cousins works at Walmart she's worked there for 20 years and she hasn't got, she hasn't seen any pay rise worth of anything and she she didn't start off bitter she's a very sunny person but she's become kind of bitter and she maybe not can't place it as well as i can you know as to what what is the economic cause of her bitterness but i can kind of see it you know the fact that she still has to argue about whether she can have a day off uh to do something is a big deal and yet she's covered in a certain sense, because she has medical coverage, right? Mm. And you don't have that down there. And that's so you're saying basically, you know, they're counting on the subsidy of uh, of the government doing 100%. their thing so that they can pay them less. Hundred percent. You know, because I, I spent a long time at a company um, that is a fairly small company, and 
And to notice the change in business when little things happen, um, when you're kind of on the edge that way, where you're in competition with things like China. That's and, right in this and book, you know right? that if you if you pay everybody, you know, like double what they're making, let's say, mm-hmm. that that means that you cannot sell your product uh, in, a, in a at a price that can sell. You know what I mean? So I've been there too. It's just a it's just a tough balance. Remember, there's that line uh, from Charles Dickens in this book. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what was it? The expenses uh, twenty pounds a year. Uh, no, income, 20 pounds a year, 19 pounds, 80 pence or something, uh, happiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> income, 20 pounds a year, expenses, uh, 21 pounds, right? Yeah. Uh, despair, something like yeah. that. Right. Yeah. And it's yeah. It, it's exactly right. We're fine as long as our, our, our stuff is covered uh, to a certain degree. You know, we could do a little more with a little more, but we don't have a little more. We, we're, we're good. But... You can only cut to the bone for so long before you know you got no bones left. Yeah, isn't it true too that Canada has a debt load that's even greater than the United States as far as a GDP percent? I do not know the answer to that. Um, however, uh, debt is actually not always a bad thing, uh, especially. Yeah, when I mean it's a bad thing to when it your gets own money. when it gets bad. It's bad if uh, if it gets too high, isn't it? Right, but it's a way of regulating um, the economy as well, right? So that you can right. uh, make sure that you've got a kind of um, investment in uh, not seeing other things invested in, right? If you can offer security at a certain rate, you can insure uh, rates. You can you can manipulate the market. Yeah, it just seems you know. And if I'm totally wrong, I know this is from a conservative upbringing, but. You, uh, if you're, we're on a path like in the United States. If it continues, it can't continue forever. No, it can't. It can't, and and the same in in Canada, right? So what do you do? Do you do something now? Do you do something later? Something's gonna have to. Something's gonna break. And if that's not so, uh, you know, I'd that's love to hear it. Question. Yeah. Oh, let's see. I should be able to bring up these stats. Canada, control F, Canada, there it is. Okay, so we have, uh, what's this? Uh, Net public debt as percentage of GDP, 98.8. Okay, and USA. So I just typed in USA debt. United. This is at... uh, 73.8 73.8 for the United States. Okay, so it is higher, but it's growing, right? It's growing up in Canada. Public debt. And it's growing, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it tends to it's grow. It's also growing in the United States. Yeah. So, I mean, at some point, where does it break? Well, when it, you start taxing, where does it stop being a taxing the wealth instead of income, right? If you get rid of so. Uh, Okay, so what you're describing is you're saying, okay, well, we need to stop accumulating debt, and the way we can do that is this. You know, why don't we do that now? Well, we're kind of getting away from the book a bit. (laughs) (laughs) We've been away from the book most of this whole talk. That's true. But anyway, that's all right. That's all right. But my my solution. My solution would be to. This doesn't uh, even have to be a podcast. We could have do, ended it a while ago. No, I'll keep it. 
Uh, capital gains. You tax capital gains. I'm not. I'm not an economist. I studied economics. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm interested in the subject. If you tax capital gains um, and you um, put some one-time taxes on, um, but the problem is is doing it right. So um, if you do it too harsh and too fast, um, you can fuck things up. But not doing it, which is what we've been doing, <laughs> um, is even more dangerous. You've got a, a, a percentage of the population, a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of the population that has gotten most of the productivity of labor for the last 25 years or more. Mm-hmm. And that is unsustainable. That's where revolutions come from, right? If you keep crushing the people, the only thing that's stopping it is the fact that food is cheap, as far as I can see. I mean, housing is too expensive. Um cars are way more expensive comic books are more expensive everything's more expensive the only thing that's cheaper is food and it's not cheaper it's just it's 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 actually declined in cost at at the consumer level uh, against inflation and so mm-hmm. it seems like it's it, it hasn't gone up and i think that the fact that people can uh, i don't think there's going to be a revolution in the states um until there is a food problem because people can seem to live with the fact that, yeah, everybody's getting cancer and dying and they can't afford to pay it and that wipes them out. But they can still afford to get food, right? I, I, there aren't starving people in the United States. There are people who are homeless, but starvation seems to be, you know, mass starvation seems to be the the key to uh, hurting, you know, causing revolution, as far as I can see. Mm-hmm. So if you start dealing with it, if you start, I mean, that's why I think, in a sense, Trump is a good thing, because he's going to, he's going to, he puts an ugly face on an ugly problem. Because the last, the last few guys haven't, haven't done that. They put smiley faces on an ugly problem. (laughs) Seemingly reasonable faces, people think. I don't know. Um, I don't know if I agree with you as far as he's good. Um, <laughs> no, no, for no. That. He's, I, he I know puts an saying. ugly face on saying. an ugly I'm problem. Just... Everybody agrees he has an ugly face, right? Well, most people do. <laughs> yeah, he's he's been really hard for me. But it, um, but what? um, but yeah, what, he he is shaking things up. I mean, I agree with that. And I guess you know, if I had to think of what good could come out of this, some of the stuff that we put candidates through, um that prevent excellent people from doing it. I think he may have blown up. Um, you know, it's, he seems to have bucked the whole, you know, uh, we, the, the way we scrutinize our president and what we expect out of that person, um, may have changed with him. I don't want Mike, Mike, Mike Zuckerberg. Is that his name? Mark? Yeah. Mark Zuckerberg as yeah. president. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he'll be a great president. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think so. I don't think so. And just the fact that he could become president well, it, it's is a, like, is a you crazy know, thing. Yeah, but I, think, I mean, my, I think my point is, is we keep The Rock seeing, would make a better president. It's like we want he these... Can be, uh, by the way, he's also Canadian as well oh, as American. So that, well, that, might, that, that might improve things. <laughs> that, that just... As well as Samoan. He's also American and Canadian. That's funny. 
Because <laughs> he's you know, we, the, he's in the, the CFL, thing is, so. you know, in the United States, we want these people that are like uh, saints, practically, but they're so not. You know, it, it's like they're fake saints. Well, uh, who could have possibly thought he was a saint, though? No, but uh, that's what I'm saying that he blew up. It's like yeah, right. he started to do things, and the press was like, okay, well, that's it for him. You know, uh, on to the next person. Yeah. And, then, and then he just kept going. And yeah. everybody, they, they were just stunned by it. And then they kept reporting, you know, bad behavior and things, and people didn't seem to care. Um, He's a high-speed train. Yeah, no question. A high-speed train to Busan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I think we're done. <laughs> we're stop on this. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. Hey, who wants to do a show on a Donald Westlake novel from 1997? Just adjusting a recorder here. And I'm going to bring up some Wikipedia entries because I haven't looked at those yet. Okay. There's Um, a, uh, a Westlake fan site. Um, they did a two-part review of the book, mm-hmm. oh. which is pretty obsessive. Yeah, which one is that? Uh, which Westlake fan site? Because there's more than one. Oh, I don't remember. Okay. Uh, give me a second, I'll bring it up. Sure. Westlake. Okay, Misa, did you watch any of the movies? I watched the French one. Okay, good. Very yeah. good. Yeah. Um, it was very, very close to the book too. Yeah, Brian, did you did you get either, one of them didn't work for you? Did either of them work? Uh, no, no, uh, damn it! And you probably didn't even get the audiobook then. Uh, I did, but I haven't listened to it. Oh, okay, um, okay. It's hard for me to read. I've seen um, uh, the Michael Caine movie before, which yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed. Uh, I rewatched that, and I did enjoy it as well. It's it's actually based on a different author's novel. Um, you get the idea. It's yeah. the same idea. Very similar. Uh, mm-hmm. Although, it, you know, Michael Caine is not uh, a typical Westlake character. Um, and Michael Caine is sort of, you know, he takes over the character of, of the main character. Anyways, it's it's a good movie as well, but we won't get too deep into that. Um, all right, I've got... Uh, is there no Wikipedia entry for the axe? Oh, there's one for the movie. Yeah, I didn't see one. Let's see. That's kind of crazy. The uh, the website I found was called the Westlake Review. Okay. And it's uh, westlakereview.wordpress.com. Westlake Review. Uh, the Axe. And uh, one is. of the nice things about it is uh, opening the review is a quote from uh, 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 Sweeney Todd. <laughs> I thought about Sweeney Todd for this. Okay, we better get started. We're getting too close to uh, saving it for the podcast. <laughs> what, what was the other mantra? Oh yes, uh, Paul. Uh, Paul uh, was upset to find out that he wasn't scheduled for a show today. Um, and why doesn't uh, he join us? Uh, I he only I, I sent you guys like oh wait I don't know who who I, I sent a bunch of people stuff for upcoming shows and um and he says so if uh, if ubix not today what's today tomorrow oh. or whatever 
And I said, oh, the axe. And he said, what? <laughs> so I guess he wasn't <laughs> paying close enough to the schedule. So the new mantra, other than other than save it for the podcast, is uh, I keep checking the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> Look to the cookie.